On March 18th, 2020, the Chicago Tribune reported that the state of Illinois would allow cannabis dispensaries to take orders from medical patients outside of their shops, at the curb, or in the parking lot to reduce the spread of coronavirus. Originally, the state's Department of Financial and Professional Regulation issued guidance to dispensaries on how to help contain COVID-19, a disease caused by a new coronavirus. The original guidance only lasted until March 30th, 2020. Through time, the guidance has been extended. Today, it was brought to my attention that the same regulatory body that had issued the temporary order had announced the order would expire. The special effort was made to protect medical cannabis patients, many of whom have compromised immune systems but still needed to access medical cannabis. The effort protected more than those who had compromised immune systems. The effort quickly became a game changer for many patients, including those who have mobility impairments, physical disabilities, um, parents of pediatric patients who cannot enter the dispensary, for example, patients with small children who may need to get their medicine, but may not be able to access or afford childcare. While thoughts and opinions may have changed about the coronavirus, the reality that we live in has not. Patients that were immunocompromised before and during the pandemic will continue to be immunocompromised. Unfortunately, I can almost guarantee you that our patients that have been faced with mobility impairments or physical disabilities may still continue to face those challenges. And lastly, the parents that we mentioned, childcare may still not be an option. All of the hypotheticals that I've discussed so far are out of our hands. The one thing that we do have control over today is this guidance. We've extended it many times in the past. I believe we can and should extend it again. In conclusion, uh, before I introduce my guests for today's show, the temporary guidance allowing cannabis dispensaries to take orders from medical patients outside of their shops is a vital measure that helps to protect vulnerable populations, including but not limited to those with compromised immune systems, mobility impairments, and physical uh, disabilities, as well as parents of pediatric patients and patients with small children. Given the ongoing challenges posed by COVID-19 and the ongoing needs of these patients, it is imperative that this guidance be extended and continued. And on that note, I wanna introduce my guests today. Edie Moore, Felicia Santiago, Joseph Friedman, and Katie Sullivan. Everybody, say hi. Hey. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Glad to be here. And, and thanks, Cole. Yep. Yeah, thank you all. Um, Katie, since you kind of rounded us all uh, up, you rounded us up today. I can't speak. Um, could you go ahead and introduce yourself, and then maybe we'll segue to our friends at Chicago Normal. Cool. Um, so, hey everybody, I'm Katie Sullivan. I'm a family nurse practitioner and cannabis clinician. Um, so I specialize in working with medical cannabis patients. Um, I own Modern Compassionate Care, practice on the Northwest side. I'm also a member of Chicago Normal, a member of the Illinois Cannabis Equity Coalition, and uh, recently was appointed to the Medical Cannabis Advisory Board for the state. So that's kind of my background. Um, well, I'm Felicia Santiago. Out right there. Oh, oh. <laughs> deputy director for Chicago Normal. Um, I, um, my professional background is in healthcare management. Um, working on a 
well, I work with medical insurance. Um, so that's where my um, passion meets cannabis there. So my, my goal for being a part of the mission is to have these discussions and figure out how the healthcare system and cannabis can one day marry. So um, a lot of that, I know a lot of that work comes from legislative work. So that's why I'm with Chicago Normal. Uh, and I'm Edie Moore. I'm the former executive director, but now I'm the legislative director of Chicago Normal. Um, I am a medical cannabis patient. I used to be one for uh, a caregiver for my mom. Um, and um, when we started in this, uh, down this journey, there was only medical cannabis. And uh, I am of the mind that uh, medical cannabis first, it was a, it, we should always, always be uh, centering the patients and that seems to have been getting lost and we need to be uh, stepping up and saying something about it. So that's why I'm here today. Thanks for inviting us. Great. Hi everyone, my name is Joseph Friedman. I'm a pharmacist, I've got a master's in business. Um, <clears throat> I owned and operated a medical cannabis dispensary uh, in Buffalo Grove. It was probably the most professional dispensary in the state of Illinois. We had uh, healthcare professionals on staff full-time from day one. Uh, we also established relationships with two colleges of pharmacy, Chicago State University College of Pharmacy and Roosevelt University College of Pharmacy to have fourth-year pharmacy students for the first time in the nation doing a clinical rotation in a medical cannabis dispensary. Uh, I'm on the uh, scientific advisory board of Accountability, a cooperative that's a new startup. Uh, I am uh, the advisory board of Cannabis Rx magazine. I've written several articles and I spearhead their podcast. I've also um, done quite a few podcasts with the Pharmacy Podcast Network on cannabis and I continue to do that. Awesome. All right. Well, folks, uh, listeners and people that are tuning in, um, if you want to check out um, everything uh, from Katie, Joseph, Edie, and Felicia, just look in the podcast description and we'll have links to Chicago Normal, all that good stuff. So where do we want to start today? Um, I, I want to say again, thank you all for your time. I feel like this cause is important to me, as you may have been able to pick up from my monologue. Um, say let's start with Katie she brought us all together today rounded us up yeah okay totally so um thank you and you know I again you guys know how much I appreciate you so um yesterday I was making my visit to the dispensary to pick up my medicine and I was handed a notice that curbside pickup was ending for medical patients all throughout Illinois um and you know even when I was speaking to it at the dispensary staff they were sort of like yeah we're not for this at all um, but we have no, we have no control over it. You know, we have to tell you guys this now. So I was like, what? And I mean, I got home and I thought, how could this be happening? Like, I didn't hear anything about it. I was going back to look to see, like, did I get a notice from the state about this? Anything? No. And I mean, I finally woke up at four in the morning this morning, still thinking about it. And first decided to like post something on Instagram. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm actually, I have a big network. We have a big network here in Chicago of activists, advocates, practitioners, if not this issue, then like, you know, we need to do something now. So I just emailed all of you guys and I was totally touched by, you know, like Cole, I think you're the first one to respond and just completely like, yes, we need to bring attention to this. Um, you know, Edie and Felicia, Joe, you guys just jumped right in with your suggestions. And, you know, I, um, 
the response from patients online and people I've talked to has been pretty shocked, disappointed, and kind of upset that they weren't told about this by the state. So um, this is an issue that, you know, a lot of, so many of my patients are helped by this. I, I work specifically with a lot of pediatric patients. So they've caregivers um, who have to go and pick up the cannabis. The curbside has been a big, big help for them, you know, for older adults, like, you know, my little old ladies who are so relieved to not have to cross an icy parking lot in the winter. And it's like January 1st, we're taking away curbside. So, you know, I, I had a bee in my bonnet. I was kind of mad at first. And then I thought, okay, let's, let's see what's going on here. And you guys responded amazingly. I, I really just appreciated everyone saying, Hey, yeah, we're down. We definitely want to step up to this. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that you've given us a platform to talk about it too, Cole. Cause I think, you know, most medical patients, if you haven't come to the dispensary this week, you're probably not aware that this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to jump on this, Katie, you, you made a really good point and I believe our friends from Chicago normal tagged on it. This is, this is guidance. And if this thing goes, you can add this to the list of other things that we have issues with, uh, with regard to Illinois cannabis, you know, so we got to act, act now. Uh, Felicia and I were really shocked too. Um, we heard about it from uh, our good friend Kaylee Hulkirk, who also um, has a lot of contacts with um, the patient population. And we, we were outraged and we're like, wait, we just had a meeting with the state last week on Tuesday, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we, we typically don't talk about um, medical cannabis in that particular meeting, but we did that day. Mm -hmm. And nothing came up, nothing new, nothing like, here's another reason. Let's add, like you said, Cole, just add it to the list. Um, and in the middle of winter it's January. Why would you do that in January? Um, yeah. we, we talk about, uh, limiting access and taking away, uh, just take, I, I don't know if we could call it a right per se, you know, but legally a right, but it's definitely a privilege and we feel like the state doesn't have any problems, you know, yeah. giving others privileges and letting them keep theirs. Yeah. And Katie, I think it was this week or last week that just passed, we had a meeting with the medical working group. And I don't <laughs> recall that being brought up in that meeting either. And that's usually where we get updates on what's happening. Yeah. And that was not mentioned at all. Um, cause it definitely would have, if they would have mentioned in that meeting, I know cause patients come to that meeting, there would have been a major concern right, right then and mm -hmm. there. And so right. for us not to know just last week when we just met with y'all before the holidays, you're going to say nothing, yeah. you know, like, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, what, what's going on? Like, why, why? why? And where's the lack of transparency? This is something that we did bring up. Um, at our meeting, why are things happening in the dark and then they just plop, you know, just plop out on us. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, this probably should have been codified into law um, since we knew it was so beneficial to the, the patient population. Um, and so that's just one of the things that we can work on. Uh, we did hear that there is a bill. I'm still trying to get my hands on it. Um, and just, you know, read it over and see, make sure it says what we think it should say and not anything more or anything less. Um, but that's that's one of the things that I do at uh, Chicago Normal is just try to 
pull together all these balloon strings that are going all over the place. And like you said, Katie, I don't know if you said it before we started, but one planet, one agency. If we were under one agency, this would not be, all these surprises wouldn't be happening. One hand, left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing all the time. And it really affects people. It affects people, it affects businesses, it affects patients. It's crazy. I've got a question. Yeah, this is the perfect example of that. Sorry, Joe. That's okay. I've got a question for the group. Um, How much do we know that curbside, uh, you know, curbside service was being used on rec dispensaries? Because, you know, as more and more dispensaries are only rec, were, you know, people just driving up and saying, hey, bring my stuff out. I mean, do we do we have any idea if that if that was happening? The variants? Well, well, first of all, there aren't more and more dispensaries that are only rec. So this, there's a, there hasn't been, there's only been two new dispensaries in the past year and a half. That okay. have so actually opened. Yeah, that are actually right. open. So they can't use that as an excuse. And if those other, if those rec dispensaries were doing it, they shouldn't have been, they should have been fined. The patient shouldn't have been, um, this shouldn't affect the patients. Well, really quick, I was going to say, I think that like Cresco and a few other stores have opened up plus one locations. Like I think Decatur or Danville, I always get it mixed up as an example where it's an adult use location. So, but to your, to your, I think this is what you just said, Edie, at the end of your response. So correct, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but this was a medical only variance. So back to your question, Joseph, uh, it didn't apply to adult use. Okay. No, I, I wasn't. If they were doing it, why, okay. you know, why penalize the patients for that? Okay. Well, you know, when, when I was running my dispensary, um, you know, we didn't have curbside service yet. Uh, this was before COVID. Uh, and you know, but a couple of times, you know, the, you know, I had situations where they couldn't get out of their car or they had kids and they couldn't come in and, you know, all those same things. And to the chagrin of my head of security, I would go out there, get their medical cannabis card, get their money, bring them out their products. And, you know, a few times we did this because it was so necessary for a certain population. And it was, it was thrilling to hear that there was curbside service because that's exactly the kind of service that a lot of these patients need. Your dispensary just sounds, I always tell you like the service that people were getting there, that's how all the medical dispensaries should be. It really, um, you know, I wish that they would make you be the the czar of the, the medical dispensaries and tell them how to do it right. But I think that, you know, this, this service is important. Like, you, you know, yeah, it started because of the pandemic, but it, quickly was proven to be really popular with medical patients, really helpful for people who have these impairments or even like PTSD patients, people that going into a busy store with a ton of people um, sometimes is hard. Sometimes it prevents them from actually getting their medicine because they don't want to deal with that. And then the idea that, you know, you could just pull up and deal with one person in the, you know, safety of your car, even for those patients, I think they utilize it quite a lot. And, um, you know, like it's, these are the people, this is, this is who we need to be keeping thinking about. And what's happened here, which we all know is that since adult use legalization occurred in Illinois, the, the, the priorities of the medical patients have kind of been forgotten. Like this was pitched to Illinois almost as like, okay, this is a money-making thing. And we see, you know, profits over patients time and again now where, you know, you know, I'm going to bring this up, you know, we did mention like, Joe mentioned, you know, we, we've never increased the number of 
dispensaries past 55 medical dispensaries. But at this point, what what's the purpose? We have released all these licenses. Maybe some of these new dispensaries, maybe some of these social equity applicants who I know are patient minded would like to provide service to patients, would give patients Absolutely. more option, would so open right. accessibility. Like, yeah, and let that let the patients decide where they want to go and let them shop at any dispensary with their medical card that's offering things like curbside pickup, like, you know, extra assistance where they're going to go the extra mile. Like, you know, Joe's patients were able to get because we know there's such a variety of people using cannabis and it's growing more and more and it's a good thing. And why, there's you know, like we want no our reason why the patient should not be able to go to any dispensary and get their um, their patient rights price. I even had, as a patient, I went down to Springfield where I was lobbying and had to switch my dispensary down there just so I could shop down there. It was even, and, and I actually, I said, you know what, forget it. I don't have time to fill out this, this form, but it was a 40% increase. I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll take the time to fill out the form. But then when I get back home, they're like, oh, you're not in the system. I said, oh shit, that's right. I forgot. I switched. So then I switch again. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Yeah. And now I should say they finally removed that provision. Right. So for medical patients, they, they removed that. You can now go to any medical dispensary. Good first step because that's ridiculous. Exactly. You're traveling and you have to file any paperwork medical, yeah. for where you might be. Right. So now it's any medical, but like, okay, good first step. Now let's expand it. Medical patients need the most step. access. <laughs> yeah. Especially because of the product availability. It's like people are looking for specific products and there's no um, consistency place to place. Well, Katie, yeah, you're, you're going to be on the, uh, oh, go ahead, oh. I'm sorry, <laughs> Katie, you're going to be on the Illinois Medical Cannabis Advisory Board. I'm going to be on that board as well. And That's right. I, think it's, I think it's going to be up to you and I and the other board members to really push uh, these patient rights, because I don't think we're just going to be there to um, you know, listen to petitions about adding additional conditions. I think there's going to be a more, because as we all know, Patients are being left out with the change right. in this industry in Illinois. It happened in Nevada where it was medical and went wreck and patients are, are totally out the door. And yeah. it's happened in other states as well. And, and it's slowly happening in Illinois. And hopefully with the Medical Cannabis Advisory Board, the state is looking at, well, we really have to take care of the patients as well because they're being left out. Right. I'm, I'm so hoping you're right that we can make some broader recommendations. I'd love to get Chicago Normal in to talk to the, the advisory board members about the issues that patients are facing. You guys have such a history of the work that you've done here. And I, I you know, there's um, a great group of people that are gonna be on this board, but they could use some context, background and history about, you know, what's happened with all of the laws, you know, in the past few years in Illinois. And you guys are really the experts. Like I, you know, I, I would love that if we could, you know, get them to come in and sit down a meeting with us. They haven't filled the whole board yet and we haven't yet met. So. Um, that's, you know, but I know I've already spoken to you guys about like wanting to um, bring the advocacy community right to this board and like, let's take your input because you know, you know the issues and you know, like anyone else, I mean, cold, I'm sure you have your ear to the ground on these issues all the time as well and that people are reporting stuff to you constantly about what's going on here. So that's what the state needs to hear. I really do think there's people that are, um, you know, working in the state that are committed to patients that want to change this. You know, I, I work, uh, you know, I love working with the folks down at IDPH 
um, division of medical cannabis, they're really helpful to my patients. So, um, you know, I think the heart is there. I think we just need to make our voices known and, and we do have a coalition and it's a great group of people. And we have so many different, um, disciplines of people, backgrounds, specialties, knowledge of the law, the legislative process. It's really important because, you know, that's, we need, we need everybody to make this happen, I think. And I, um, I'm really hopeful. Like I'm hopeful that this, the advisory board is going to be an outlet for that as well. Absolutely. I would say like a couple of things as an organizer, you definitely, it's good to have these conversations that we're having, right. To really identify the stakeholders and identify voices and identify the issues and stuff like that. So um, if this is important, but what also is important is to actually um, put pen to paper and hands in dirt and start building things together. And so that's, that's kind of my niche is to organize, but also help organize us so that we actually put action behind those words. I also feel like um, this issue right here, I think I started preaching this last year, maybe the year before when we were talking about our health fair that we do every year, is that this conversation I kept saying was gonna come back. We're gonna come back to this and we need to, we need to start having these conversations. We need to start educating our healthcare providers. In, in, the, in healthcare administration that I'm in, if you are not credentialed, the legislators, lobbyists, decision makers don't want to hear it, you know, in the medical field. So it's good that we have credentialed folks like Katie and, and Joseph saying these things, but we need your peers to be preaching this to our legislators because that's going to make the difference here. And their doctors. And yes, absolutely. So we need more folks like this having this conversation, identifying the problem so that folks like us who can actually start working on legislation, we have your backing behind us because they're going to listen to folks like you because you're in the medical field day in and day out with patients. Mm -hmm. And in the medical field, patient care is priority because patients right. have rights. It also shows that our state does not prioritize medical patients nor its nor medical program nor its patients in the same way as they prioritize the healthcare industry, and that's wrong. It should be, you should have access to proper health care. And if you use cannabis for your health care, you should have access to it. So we also need to remember that the Illinois made a lot of money in 2015, 16, and 17 off medical patients first. So you need to pay homage to them and also protect them um, because that's where, that was the foundation of why, why we're all here today. So we have to talk about it. We also got to like, organize and be about it. And that's where conversations, constant education and doing the legislative work all got to play hand in hand together so yeah. we can make a difference. Because a working group doesn't work if it's not working towards something. Yeah. We're just sitting around talking. And we're just sitting around talking about it. And they didn't even say, yeah. we were talking so much, they didn't even tell us this in the doggone work, medical working group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, to your point, just on this specific issue, and I, I'd love to, I actually am I wanted to take advantage of having you all in, in this one place to talk about the, you know, larger issues at hand. Maybe we can close that out, but uh, we, maybe we'll edit this. And if we do, I'll replace it, but this is the most recent call to action. And so if folks are wondering, um, you know, the best way they can maybe make their voice heard about this, would you agree that contacting IDFPR, the people that release this guidance 
would probably be a great place to start, but also the office of the CROO, uh, the Cannabis Regulation Oversight Officer. Um, if you're watching the podcast right now, I'm displaying the contact information for both of these offices. Um, and uh, if you're listening, they'll be in the podcast description. So um, the call to action I would say today is contact IDFPR and CROO, and please share how this impacts you on social media. Um, that's another way you can make sure that you're heard and that our patients are heard. Use hashtag Illinois curbside, and we might try to collect all of your posts. So please share how this impacts you or your loved ones, you know, or your friends. You know, I know this impacts more, more people than even we've got listed here, you know, this is an including but not limited to list, you know. Uh, so um, just wanted to get that call to action out there. Sorry for hijacking the conversation. I want to spin it out, though, to, you know, kind of these bigger topics we've been kicking around. Um, yeah. What are some thoughts we have percolating about that, about the medical cannabis program? Uh, it just needs to get further. There's, it needs work and no one's working on it. There hasn't been um, any legislation filed that we can find or that has passed, certainly, to uh, improve, improve situations. And the same thing with adult. You know, we have been working as, as the legislative director, we've been working with the uh, Cannabis Equity Coalition and, um, and others Constantly, but there's been no there's been no uh, effort to tweak or change or um, uh, improve, um, and this certainly erodes the programs. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. I think you know, um, you know, um, you guys at Chicago Normal, um, you know, and, and this podcast, you know, can possibly be sent to. Um, those email addresses uh, that you mentioned, um, Cole, uh, you know, on that screen, and um, and then I think what we can do is get our heads together and spend a day in Springfield and knock on some doors and have some meetings. If that's something that you feel it would be good, because it sounds like you're in Springfield a lot, anyways, you know, Edie and so you know, you guys. So, um, what do you think? I mean, definitely yeah. for future, I plan to find myself in Springfield and, and would love to join <laughs> you all. Please let me know how I can. My thing about this issue, it's so crazy that this literally is apparently done on January 1st unless somebody does something about it. Right. And I'm not trying to litmus test people, but I have contacted um, Bob Morgan, Kelly Cassidy, representatives who often are described as fighting on behalf of uh, medical patients, and they say they're working on it. So, you know, let's hope that, that that works out. But I really think that public pressure would really, and I don't mean to say pressure, just voice voice your experience, you know, voice how this impacts you. Um, well, let's, let's be clear, though. So when we are, when sure. we're choosing our target for a specific campaign or a specific action, you've got to choose the right people. So I know Bob Morgan and Kelly Cassidy are great people to reach out to typically. However, this didn't come from the legislature. That's where they work. Yeah. So we need to target people who work in the administration, in the departments. Um, that's where this came from. So I, 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 
this is one of the things that we're going to be talking about in our uh, lobbying workshop next month. Um, I don't know where the information is for that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's on our IG page. But um, but you've got to pick the targets strategically. Because they'll they'll say, well, I'm working on it. Well, they don't they got to make a call, the same call that you would make, you know. Right. Edie, you, you mentioned that you were a patient and you were also a caregiver for your mother. Okay. Did you ever use curbside service? This was a while ago. My mom passed in 2617. I'm sorry. Um, thank you. But um, yeah, this, this was a while ago. I've never used curbside service as a patient myself. I didn't, I don't really have to, um, but I recognize the, you know, I recognize the need for it. Do we, do we think it would be useful to have a patient who uses curbside service to sound off on one of these podcasts absolutely yeah not a bad idea i mean if you need a patient i've got a lot so Katie's got all the patients. <laughs> okay. i mean that would be willing to talk whenever i ask them they're like if you need me to speak about this i'm like yep <laughs> noted yeah. because yeah, that's really you know i was gonna say i haven't actually had a, had an opportunity this afternoon to get into the um the facebook group the medical cannabis um, Facebook group, but I'm sure that they are really sounding off. So oh, yeah, I haven't looked on there either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also right. have a connection to uh, Senator Laura Fine, if that could be of use. Yeah, I need to get my hands on that. that supposedly, there was a bill that was filed last year. Um, it's been a, it's been a weird day. The holiday, everyone's shutting down and. Yeah. I know, and I started that monster thing, but if I can get that, I'll forward it to you right away. Um, the, the, <laughs> because that's what you want to be doing on New Year's Eve, reviewing some legislation, I know. <laughs> you get up cold, get up every morning, and it feels like we run in, right into a brick wall every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. It makes it really hard to treat patients. Like just as a, from a provider's perspective, the issues with the state system, to like your point, what you were saying before, the availability and consistency of products, the um, I, the fees can still go down. There's some fees that should be changed, you know, that we have the ability to do lifelong certifications for people now, which is awesome. Um, that hasn't really been publicized too much. Uh, but one thing I hate about that is I see a lot of patients that are coming to renew their card, but they're just seeing me for the first time. So if I lifelong certify them, they still have to pay the normal fee for three years, and then their renewal fee drops to 50, even though they're a a renewal patient. I know maybe I'm getting technical with some specific stuff, but like that issue in and of itself, where it's like, hey, lifelong patient, that's awesome. We're trying to save hassle. We're trying to save unnecessary fees and um, appointments for people, but um, we're missing this little piece of it. And And I don't like having that that. little paper card either. I don't like that. Nobody like, likes that. <laughs> Nobody likes that. I did get a rumor they were bringing back, and I shouldn't like say that it was a literal rumor, but like that they were going to bring back the physical cards just because so many people had complained. But you know, I I just really feel like you know you, we we see every single month how much money the state's making with the adult use market. Why do we nickel and dime patients? You know, already they're paying some of the highest prices, even at the medical rate in the country. We don't have, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm hoping that more competition as these new companies are able to get up and running, hopefully, 
that will bring prices down for patients, but there's a lot more we can do. And I mean, I can talk and, about and this letting those five patients hours, be so. able to go to the new dispensaries that opens up a whole market for the for those new businesses, because right now, as a patient, you're not going to go to you're not going to frequent one of those new dispensaries because you're going to pay 40 percent more. So that means the MSOs have right. a lot on patients. They're entrenched. And that's who's benefiting from this system right now. It's set, it's set up to benefit the people that have the current medical licenses, not to benefit patients. So that needs to be rectified. You know, and I, I, I don't I think it's pretty hard to argue against that. It, you know, like if the you know, if our elected representatives have to face that, you know, of course, I think that. But like. It just makes sense. Like all, all of what we're saying, and again, I'm biased, but it, it, it's it's simple, it's easy. There's a lot of simple things we could do to improve the program, like now. And number one is this curbside. Okay. Like, well, IDFPR, IDFPR has developed a, a system of over-regulation from the get-go. Uh, you know, early on when we first opened up PDI Medical, um, you know, we, we did have some, you know, uh, seizure young patients and their parents were caregivers, they would come in. But at the very beginning of this uh, industry in Illinois, all we had was flour. And mm -hmm. but we had these easy butter makers, you know, for sale. And so what we would do is go talk to the patient, okay, here, buy a gram of flour. Here's the way you go ahead and put it into this easy butter maker, you add so much, well, you know, we gave them instructions on how to get a dose for their kid. And <laughs> and you know, and what's crazy is, uh, you know, I'm a pharmacist and I used to work, you know, in pharmacy and we used to see a, an inspector once every two years. We had an inspector in my dispensary four times in the first year and over-regulation. And one, they, they came in once and they said, well, we want to see all the, you know, did you sell any flour to a pediatric patient? And I would say, well... And then they they can look in BioTrack and they can actually see the age to the patient, and 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 all we have. And I explained to them. They said, "Well, no, no, you you're not allowed to do that." And we were fined. And and you know, it, it just it just was. And I I would explain the reasoning behind it and what we did, and it wasn't good enough. So it's it's these regulations that are that are choking this industry. And fortunately, we found ways around that with more products coming out that we can actually dispense to to someone under 18 but this is what we're dealing with right now is over regulation yeah because the state doesn't consider medical cannabis medicine if they considered it medicine it would be treated as medicine you can you drive up to the pharmacy to get your medication you talk to a pharmacist when you have questions it is not considered the same that's the problem. We have to prove with data, testimony, all types of things to prove that medical cannabis should be treated just as that, as medicine, the same way your hydrocoding and all that other stuff is considered. Um, that's why it's, it's just not being treated the same. They don't even see it as the same thing. Well, we, we have to have some meetings and convince the regulators that it is medicine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just, uh, I'll show you, I'll put the report in the podcast description, folks. I'm sorry that I don't have it offhand. I've been doing an awesome research uh, pr project into the history of Illinois cannabis. And one of the reports I found was 
I think Joseph, you'll like this one. And, and Katie, you might appreciate this too, being in healthcare. Uh, they did a comparison how pharmaceutical drugs are able to be transported in Illinois versus how cannabis is transported. Right. Pharmaceutical drugs, people that are pharmaceutical representatives, nothing against them. But what they're able to do is just throw, they could literally just throw the bag of pills uh, that they're transporting to a pharmacy in their front seat of their car uh, versus they showed the medical cannabis transport, which is it's inside of a van, but not only inside of a van, there's a locked enclosure inside of the van, double locked, uh, GPS tracked. The of the van. <laughs> yep. GPS tracked. We're tracking it like it's a weapon moving around the state of Illinois. I'm just saying. I mean, they what, what can't thing? get rid of criminalization. It's like they, it's always creeping in. That's the underlying tone of a lot of this stuff that it's like, it, 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 I, I really feel like that's, that ethos needs to be gone. We, we, we can't criminalize patients and it's ridiculous to the extent you can get booze delivered. You can buy but, it at Walgreens. I mean, come on. And we know that's not good for anybody. We know that we know there's big problems with that. How are patients supposed to get seeds again legally? That's a huge. We all we all know that's a huge issue. Bingo. Thank you, Edie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> add it to the list. <laughs> add it to the list. Yeah. Cole, Cole, I used to be a pharmaceutical sales rep, and I used to carry drugs in my trunk and on my front seat. And and these were you know legend pharmaceuticals. You needed a prescription for it, but it wasn't the the stuff that was abused. It wasn't, you know, hydrocode. You know, we, we really didn't have those types of products with the company I was working for. And I highly doubt that the, the reps that work for companies that had those products were going around with samples. I don't know, maybe, maybe Purdue Pharma reps were, yeah. were walking well, around with Oxycontin. So, so that's sort of like one of the, you know. Yeah, one of, the one specific of the report that I need people to check out to your point, because I, I, I just smoked a joint, I could be wrong. Um, the report that I'm going to put in the podcast description is a comparison between cannabis and opioids and how they're oh, transported. Cool. I believe okay. if my memory is correct. So when it comes out, I'll, and I'll send you guys the link if you're all curious. It's a short report uh, from yeah. ABC. So, uh, yeah, so, I would yeah. say that also if you just made that comparison, like when you see money being transported by Brinks and all those other folks, they're they're same way. It's guarded. It's protected. Same way as cannabis. Why? Because the value. Yeah. If, right. If you can get away with throwing some hydrocodone pills on your on your in your car, that lets you know it's not that valuable. Which is why cannabis has to be locked up like money because it's valuable, and that's why we regular folks can't even get in because it's valuable. It's abused. So, yeah, so it, which is why, again, they're not taking it as serious as, as it should be um, because they just don't view it the same way as we do. Or for us. Or for us, yep. And I think that that's a good, I mean, that they people really do need to, um, and kind of to your point, what you were saying before, like getting patients involved and maybe, maybe of course I'm thinking, yes, of course, when you hear what my patients are facing, you're of course gonna wanna change the laws, but, um, personalizing this for the people that are making these decisions so that they really do understand, like, we need more feedback from medical patients in this state. I think the state should be initiating a lot more 
of that action where they're asking people, how much do you pay for your cannabis? How far do you have to drive? Do you have a problem with availability? Like all of these, um, and, and you know, the state seemed open to that. We did talk about that at our last CRO meeting about trying to, I think, you know, get some information. And I know um, Americans for Safe Access was collecting some information. Politico is trying to do a data collection of some of the issues in different states. But I, I really feel like it's like the state should be seeking this data. We should be trying to find out what our patients are facing. And like, I, this is what I think and what I hear from patients and we all have our own thing, but like really when you're making these kind of decisions for thousands and thousands of people, there should be data involved. We should really know what yeah. people are facing in a more official way. So, and, and it's not like they don't have this information or they can't all, they can't aggregate it because they already have it. Patients are making purchases and each one of those things are tracked. Pay, uh, what they're buying, when they're buying, how much they're buying, and who's buying it—it's all tracked. So they mm -hmm. have this information, and they, I guess, expect um, small organizations or small businesses to have the resources to do the work for them. Mm. Why? How? 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 Make that make sense? Yeah, I mean, the right. state does have the Cannabis Research Institute coming, so. Hopefully we can all collaborate and be a part of that initiative to do an industry study, medical rec, all, all the yeah. studies that need to happen so that the ecosystem can work better um, without so many blockages. Because if, they, if we didn't have so many blockages, I feel like there would be a little more balance, which is the point of cannabis, right? To bring homeostasis, <laughs> right? So like if we can do that to the industry, we'd be aligned, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, hey, absolutely. It's easier to do that if you had one agency for the one plant. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, um, it's a three-minute report. Do you want to watch opioids versus cannabis? The strictness. I think it would be helpful for our listeners uh, if we watched yeah. it right now. It's three minutes, oh, so sure. Let's do it. AC5 investigates. Illinois has very tight rules for how cannabis can be transported and delivered. In fact, those rules are stricter than the federal guidelines for opioids, the most abused drug in America. Here's the story from Phil Rogers. Do we have more to grab? Yeah. We're at a distribution center for Cresco Labs in suburban Chicago. And what these workers are loading 3365 is one of the most tightly controlled cargoes in America. The cargo is legal cannabis, at least legal in the eyes of the state of Illinois. But the rules for how it's transported are spelled out in pages of state regulations. Security is aware of every shipment that goes out, where it's heading, what time they should arrive. That security actually starts all the way back when the cannabis plants are grown. Each plant receives its own barcoded number. And those numbers follow the plants and their products through processing here at Cresco's suburban facilities, all the way through packaging, transport, and delivery to dispensaries statewide. Correct. And we refer to as seed to sale. Illinois law requires cannabis transporters to move their wares in vehicles where the products are locked tight in a separate compartment. Then there's a second set of locked doors outside. The trucks can't be marked, and at least one crew member has to stay in the vehicle at all times. What is this? This is our um, tracking software platform. Cresco's fleet is monitored in real time. 
Onboard cameras provide a view inside and outside the trucks, and GPS will alert the company if the truck tries to cross state lines. We know exactly where they're at at all times. But there's a bit of irony here. Remember, in the eyes of the federal government, cannabis is still illegal. But the Illinois guidelines for transporting pot are much stricter than the federal rules for moving much more dangerous drugs. It was very casual. Um, all of the product would go into my personal vehicle in a, just a standard Coleman cooler. Cresco's logistics manager, Joseph Franks, told us he used to work for a major hospital transporting everything from chemotherapy drugs to prescription painkillers. Where would it be in the car? It would be in my back seat. The DEA's position on moving even the most abused drugs in America, opioids like OxyContin, is that licensees are simply responsible for getting them where they are supposed to go. The federal regs say all applicants and registrants shall provide effective controls and procedures to guard against theft and diversion of controlled substances. We do have uh, millions and millions of controlled substances that are moved through the system through the mail, through UPS, through FedEx. Former DEA agent Jack Teitelman now works as a consultant on compliance with drug regulations. If you decide that you know your your method of distribution is on the back of a bicycle and a, and a on a backpack because that fits into that neighborhood and you've never had an issue, then that might be the correct way of of making that delivery into that neighborhood. Twenty eight eleven. That is not the case with marijuana in Illinois. Illinois is the most heavily regulated state that we operate in. Heavily regulated and lucrative, with nearly $1.8 billion in sales since it was legalized in Illinois just two years ago. Phil Rogers, NBC5 Investigates. Woo! Lucrative, that's right. <laughs> great, great video. Thank you, Cole. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for asking the question you asked, because I was able to pull it up and, and show it and clarify. I, it was good that I clarified that, so... Boom. <laughs> well, hey, uh, I want to thank you all for your time tonight. Um, I love the folks from Chicago Normal even more because a cat just made a cameo. Um, <laughs> the cats make cameos. Wants. The cats, yeah, the, we get it. We got cats uh, that, that stumble in and make cameos on our podcast all the time. So, um, hey, I want to give you all a chance before we part to tell us where we can find you online. Oh, well, you can find Chicago Normal um, at Chicago Normal normal n-o-r-m-l dot org um, <laughs> on all social media platforms that's kind of normal that's kind of normal perfect <laughs> and you can find me at moderncompassionatecare.com and also on all social medias um and just wanted can, can we do a shout out and this should really be felicia as we're doing this we were talking about education for healthcare providers chicago normal is planning to repeat their amazing 420 health fair. I don't want to take, this is really Felicia's thing, but um, since we're, we're here it. talking about this, do oh, you want absolutely. to plug it, Felicia? Yeah. So every 420, we do a health fair. Um, we don't, we do party just that night, somebody else's thing, but we um, produce the health fair to providing education. Last year, we are uh, this year, wherever we are next year, next year, well, whatever. <laughs> 2022, we um, educated healthcare providers. Um, we did, did some workshops on specific um, topics. And then we also offered CME or CEU credits to healthcare professionals if they took our intro to endocannabinoid class taught by Dr. Audrey Tanksley, who was like the cook, who is she, the charge of the Cook County 
Board of Physicians or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so she's our teacher. Um, so we offered that as well. Um, we want to kind of make that program um, a, an event where the community as well as our healthcare providers can come and learn and get educated. And then also this year we're adding a layer of having legislative discussions like this, um, talking about specific issues. Um, Joseph, we also will be having a discussion about cannabis and drug interactions. So I'd love to connect with you on that. And um, we're looking for location. So I'd like to do it at a, at a university um, to really make it legit, to really pull in the right folks, to come and get educated and listen to us talk about the issues and hopefully get some, some support from the community. Chicago State University would probably be a good, um, you know, I've got we some connections thinking. there. So yeah. Yay. That's what I want. That's, that's okay. what she's been saying. Okay. Okay. And yes. Felicia, I'll hit you too about UIC, who I was hitting up about that too. My contact is um, enjoying her holiday. So I'm hoping next week I'll be back. We're the, we're the crazy ones working. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> It's funny. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead, Joseph. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I sold my dispensary a couple of years ago to actually Cresco. And uh, and so, but the best way to reach me is on social media, on LinkedIn, or just Google my full name, Joseph Friedman, medical marijuana or medical cannabis after it. And you'll see a lot of links and, and including uh, links to uh, contact me on LinkedIn. Cool. Be in touch. That's great. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it was we are having one other thing. I'm sorry. We no, are having uh, a lobbying workshop or uh, we're calling it a legislative lobbying workshop um, next month on the 14th at Hatch 41. Uh, we're going to talk about things like targeting, uh, getting the right targets for your uh, for your um, whatever campaign it is that you're working for. So I uh, hope to see some folks there. It's free. Yeah. And I got to say, I went to the last one and I learned so, so much like, uh, yeah, finding who to talk to is a, is a big thing, like you say, you know, so um, again, I want to thank you all for your time. Uh, thank you for all that you do. And please stay in touch and, and let me know if you ever want to come back on. Uh, you've always got a home here at the Illinois podcast. So uh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. you guys. Happy New Year, everyone, New Year. and thank all of you for the work you do. I really, you guys all warmed my heart today. I love working with you all. Um, happy, happy yeah. New Year. 2023, we're going to kick its butt. Yeah. So, yeah, Sorry. seriously. Awesome way to end it. Bye, oh, yeah. everybody. For sure. Cheers.